Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Hope everybody's doing well. Question for today is, would a shepherd ever break one of the legs of a sheep? Or why would a shepherd ever break one of the legs of his sheep? Well, we're going to find that out as we talk about forgiveness on today's show. Let's get started here at the top of the noon hour and with the Angelus, as we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, folks, this topic of forgiveness is an interesting one. It's been coming up a lot lately. Um, and I've had to counsel people on forgiveness. We always hear stories, and sometimes we'll see this, oh, I don't know, on TV, talk shows, uh, different things where people are reunited, and they forgive each other, and it's always very, very beautiful. Um, I think it's one of these things when it works well, and when both people come together with a open heart, and with a sense of uh, understanding our own shortcomings, understanding that I'm not perfect either. Forgiveness is very, very beautiful in that sense because it's very freeing for both parties. And <clears throat> we hear a lot of stories of people saying, gosh, you know, I wasted so much time being angry. I wasted so much time being frustrated. I should have uh, let this go sooner. But I couldn't let this person off the hook. Uh, I couldn't. I felt like if I forgave them, then everything was okay. And Okay, you know, it's one of those things that, that we need to consider in terms of, and what I mean by okay is, uh, I don't mean that it's good. What I mean is, it's a very common human experience. It's very common to feel that way. It's, you know, you're going to talk to so many different people who say, yeah, I couldn't forgive him because I couldn't let him off the hook. And we hear a lot of these stories, and that's great. And we hear about friendships forming again, and even better than ever, and people are never going to fight again. But the question comes up, uh, and the more difficult, challenging question is, what if it's myself who I have to forgive, who I'm not letting off the hook, who I am 
living with all day long because essentially if I'm by myself and I mean only I have to live with myself really only I have to live with my eternal life you know and people have to live my family has to live with my emotions my attitude and things of that nature that might be a representation of my internal life but we've all seen people who maybe aren't very kind or who are always frustrated um, we wonder what's going on with them. And we say, gosh, that's just not a happy person. You know, people who walk around and they, it seems like they blame everybody else for everything that's going on in their life. If their life is not perfect. And I got to wonder what's going on in their own hearts. Are they happy with themselves? And that's not to say that we go the other extreme of being narcissistic or, um, really thinking that we're so much better than anybody else. It's more a question of, do I accept myself for who I am? And do I realize that I'm not always perfect? And do I realize that in my imperfections, I can only turn to God to make me whole? This is where it gets a little bit, a little bit challenging because when it comes to the spiritual life, shall we say Catholic psychology, we have so many different things to unfold when it comes to ourselves. One, we have to realize that there is an inner life. There is uh, our life of ourselves, of, of what I'm going to present to God when I get to the throne, when I get to the judgment table, I should say, to the courthouse uh, on my deathbed, the judgment, the individual judgment, the final judgment. Either way, there's going to be a judgment. And as we know, in our world, in society, you hear about a judgment, you hear about a judge, a courtroom, or anything along those lines. And we know for a fact that there is a verdict of guilty or innocent. Uh, there is a, a sense of, uh, does the court forgive us or not? We have the idea of throw myself at the mercy of the court. And we're looking for forgiveness from the court. But here on earth, what we're going to ask ourselves is, I can go to confession. I can forgive my neighbor. I can decide that I'm going to move forward. But can I forgive myself? This can be a very, very big challenge. I think a lot of times we start to feel like I've done something so wrong. My sin is so big. It's so ugly that how could God possibly forgive me? How could this ever be good? And the truth is that it's never good. Sin is never good. Even, shall we say, when we, when we tell ourselves, oh, it's just a little sin. Oh, it's okay. Any stain on the soul in the light of the perfection of God is never going to be good. It's always going to be something that's going to be so wretched that we're going to realize that, yeah, what we deserve is hell. Technically, that's the punishment for any sin, whether it be venial or, or mortal sin. Mortal sin for sure. Venial sin, we can say, well, God's mercy, you know, we can go to confession, we can even just go to communion, and that'll alleviate and eradicate any of our venial sins. But the reality is the price of sin, the the not the price of sin, the consequence of sin is hell. The price of sin is Christ hanging on the cross. That's really what it comes down to. But let's talk a little bit about a few people I've actually talked to who have a hard time realizing, recognizing that they've sinned, they've gone to confession, they have a spiritual director who they talk to, but they can't forgive themselves. What does their life look like? Well, there was one conversation I was having in particular where this person 
I'm not judging their holiness or their not holiness. I don't know about that. I'm not judging their past life or their sins because I'm not God. But what we're looking at is person has, let's give a little background. This is about a 35 year old female um, who is very much trying to get her life together uh, in in the Catholic sense. She came back to the faith. She said she was away for the faith for a while, especially during her college years. Very much felt shame. Very much felt shame about the different things she had done during her college years. She said she bought into the culture. She decided that, you know, yeah, she'd been brought up Catholic, but, you know, the, the truths of the faith, they didn't matter much to her anymore. Uh, she thought that intimacy, physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, uh, maybe drugs here and there, uh, indiscriminate uh, relationships, that was going to be okay because that's what was happening in college. So she went through some friends. She said she went through some girlfriends. She said that uh, she was doing drugs here or there. Uh, sometimes she'd black out. And the worst of that was she didn't remember sometimes what happened the night before. But when she woke up, she realized she had been probably in compromising situations uh, based on how she woke up, where she woke up, if she was clothed or not. And this was a very, very challenging reality for her. Now she's coming back to the faith and she decided that, you know, God is calling her to something greater, maybe even the religious life. But none of them are good enough for her. She's looked at different convents. She's looked at becoming third order. And she's looked probably at about four or five different convents to enter. Again, she's 35 years old. She does have a college degree. It's in uh, English, humanities. Uh, and, you know, she has, she could be a professor. She went pretty far in college, very smart, very smart person, has a lot going for her. But at this point, realizes she needs to give her life to God. But she's been going exploring all these different places. She's looking at different comments, different orders, different charisms with her teaching degree. She feels like she could be something more academic, like a Dominican or something along those lines where she says, you know, I can use my studies and teach. But, you know, that order, gosh, they're, they're just not contemplative enough. They don't, they don't pray enough. I could look at a, a little bit more of a Carmelite order, but they're not intellectual enough for me, the ones I've looked at. Um, you know, they're all super contemplative and they're, they have no active life. You know, I could look at a Franciscan order, but gosh, again, I don't know any Franciscans who teach or the ones that do teach. They're not as academic as I would like them to be. Um, and so she's going through and she's looking at all these different convents and, and different orders to enter. The challenging part is one, does she have a calling to the religious life? And I think that's great. It's great to discern that. It's great for her to evaluate this. The second thing to ask ourselves is, well, maybe you have a, a, a calling to the married life. Maybe you're supposed to be married. And as we're talking, you know, she's saying, no, no, I, I can't get married because ultimately it's because she says, I've done too much in my life. Nobody will love me. Nobody will accept me. When I go to these orders, I feel like that's where God wants me. But the reality is, as we were talking and she can't find one order that's good enough because they all have something wrong. You know, this can happen to her too, as she's tried to date um, before in the last, about probably two, three years ago was her last date. Again, either the gentlemen were not good enough, there was something wrong with all of them, or she felt like, no, once I, I don't want to tell them about my past, if they find out about me, they're not going to accept me. Well, it can be challenging to be in that place. When we come back from the break, we're going to ask ourselves, what's going on? Why is nothing good enough? At what point are we good enough? And more after the break. 
Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today we're talking about what should we consider when nothing seems to be going right? When it seems like, you know, nothing's right in our life. No matter what I do, I don't know what God's vocation is for me. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know exactly, uh, you know, now that I'm coming back to the faith, I want to put my life in order. But I'm looking back at my past sins, and I feel ashamed. I feel ashamed of myself, and I feel like I really, you know, don't deserve much of anything. Well, before the break, we were talking about a young lady I had counseled who really was in a difficult situation with herself. She wanted to come back to the faith. She had been brought up Catholic, gone to college, decided to not follow Catholic faith, decided to live a life according to how... Um, her friends were living the life about how she was told she needed to live life about uh, now she's free, you know, don't have to follow the Catholic rules. And she felt ashamed of herself. She had been um, out with many different men. She had been having different girlfriends. She had gotten involved in things. And now when she's trying to find something good to do with her life, she really can't do it. Not the way she sees it is nothing is really good enough. The truth though, as we were talking is we got down to how she felt about herself. No man was ever going to love her. No convent or religious order was ever going to suit her needs. But the reality is, I was letting her know the common denominator was herself. You know, you get a variety of options. Eventually, you're going to have to choose. But if you can't choose any of them, it's really it really comes down to you. It really comes down to what do you want? Why is it that you feel that none of this is good? Why aren't you willing to give it a try? And I think the reality is we're afraid of being vulnerable. We're afraid of being rejected. And the reason that we're afraid of being rejected, or it seems like nothing's good enough, is really we're projecting at that point. If we're in a place where we have so much regret, so much shame, even after we've gone to confession, at that point, we're actually rejecting ourselves. We're saying, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, I can how I can't fathom being forgiven by God. I can't fathom God's mercy being greater than my sins. And this is where we run into a bit of a problem. So as we were talking, I asked her, well, what do you want for yourself? Because you decided to come back to the Catholic faith, or you decided that the Catholic faith that you grew up with and the tenets of the faith are the actual truth. And you decided, this is what I want to do. Well, what does that mean for you? Why, why did you decide that was the case? And she said, you know, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be, uh, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I realize that my sins are so heavy, but I just don't know how God could possibly forgive me. I said, well, the issue is that I think you're considering that God's the one who's going to send you to hell and you don't realize something. We started talking a little bit about what her life experience is like. I said, what happens when you up in the morning? Are you happy? And she said, you know, I, I try to be, I know that I need to pray. I'm, I'm really more in a mode of penance. Uh, she said, I need to uh, really make up for my sins. So every day I'm, I'm doing a lot of penance. And I said, oh, is this penance from uh, your confession? And she says, no, it's self-imposed. I asked her if she had a spiritual director. She didn't. Um, so I said, so how do you know if this penance is actually fruitful? How do you know you're not just hurting yourself instead of really trying to do penance and make up for your sins and get closer to God? And she didn't. She just said, you know, she was either fasting or she would try to mortify herself in different ways, uh, not physically necessarily, but in her mind, I think that ultimately what it came down to is 
her beating herself up was to her a form of penance. And what I told her was, or what we came up with was, the reality is she was living in a state of hell. Because what is hell really? When we think about it, sometimes we imagine that God's going to send us to hell, that we're going to say, gosh, I've lived such a bad life and I don't know how to make up for it. And how could anybody possibly love me? How could God possibly love me? I'm going to, God's going to send me to hell. The truth is that we send ourselves to hell. How do we send ourselves to hell? Well, if we look at the reality of one sin that can never be forgiven is the sins against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling us that God loves us. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a manifestation, the person personified manifestation of the love between the Father and the Son of the Holy Trinity. That's all it is. It's pure love. It's such love, in fact, between the Father and the Son that it's personified. It's such that we need to consider like a child in a marriage. The husband and the wife love each other so much and they create a new life that is both of them together. So when we look at the sin against the Holy Spirit, what would it be? It's a sin against God's love. Do I accept God's love? At this point, God's love is saying, hey, I forgive you for your sins, but do I accept that? The hard part is that sometimes we get so wrapped up in how sinful we feel that it's not uh, it's not possible for us to imagine that we can be loved. So we're not accepting love. We're not accepting love from our neighbor. We're not going to accept love from any of these convents or, or houses of religious worship that cost, we could possibly be exploring for a vocation. And we're definitely not, if we don't know how to accept love that way, we're definitely not going to accept God's love. That's the challenging part with not forgiving ourselves. We're in this place where nothing is good. Everything is bad. I'm no good. I'm bad. Nobody can possibly love me. I can't forgive myself. God's not going to love me. How could God possibly love me? I'm not going to be able to make this decision. And as we keep going through life, as we were talking, I told her, you know, if you keep going through life this way, you're going to eventually, someday we're all going to die. And you're eventually going to die with this idea of, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm no good. And then what's going to happen before the time of God? Are you ready to accept God's mercy? It's hard because at that point, we painted a God who doesn't love us. A God who is going to say, you know, look at all your sins. And and uh, how, could, how could I possibly love you? How could you possibly be forgiven? That's what we imagine God saying when we're like that. Because when we're in a state of self-hatred, we just imagine that everybody hates us the way we seem to hate ourselves. And that can be challenging. That can be really, really challenging. How can we change that? Well, the first thing is we need to recognize that <clears throat> any lack of especially the self, actually goes against the first commandment. How could this be possible? First commandment is you shall love your Lord, your God above all else. I have to love God. Well, first, let me ask this. If we're in a position where we feel like we've done something so bad that we can't be forgiven, are we able to turn, turn and say, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. That might be one place to start. Why would this be a sin against the first commandment? Well, we're supposed to love God first. So we're supposed to love everything that God has made, everything that God has commanded. I'm supposed to accept nothing but God in my life, in my heart. In fact, to the point where Jesus says, supposed to hate our family. Now, Jesus, really what he's saying is you got to hate your dad, your mom, your brothers, sisters. What he's saying is you have to love me more than even them. That could be challenging to do sometimes as well, because obviously our family's tangible. It's in front of us. We know that relationship. But do we have that relationship with God? 
The other thing to consider is God created us. God loves us. If God loves me and God created me, I cannot go against God. I have to love God. And God is telling me, I need you to love yourself. I need you to forgive yourself the same way I need you to forgive your neighbors. I need you to forgive everybody. But especially you need to forgive yourself because I already have. If I'm in a position where I no to that, then she's going to say, what was the point of me dying on the cross? What was the point of me coming down and sacrificing everything and going through that suffering? It was for you. It was so that you could make it to heaven. It was so that you don't carry this burden, this sense of shame. Now, this is something important to consider. It's very much a Catholic psychology concept, but the reality is shame is not productive and it's actually not good. Shame puts us in a place where we feel that we are among the demons, so to speak. That's carrying shame. Guilt is very different. Guilt is not something that we consider in the world of psychology. It's not something that I'll tell you. It's not something academically we study. It's not in the DSM. We don't have a treatment plan for it. If somebody comes to me and they say, oh, Dr. Sandoval, I really feel guilty about something. I don't look at my books and say, oh, I have a medication for that. Although a lot of people want one. But I don't have a medication for that. I don't have a, um, a quick fix to the sense of guilt. Guilt is actually something very, very positive. Guilt tells me something is off. I might have done something wrong, but I need to make up for it. I need to do something to repair it. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of reparation. If I do this, you're telling me that if I can do my penance after confession, that I can repair my sins. They can be washed away. That's excellent. I will do that then I can fix things. Life will be good. I can be in communion with God. I can let things go. But if all I carry around is shame, there's, there's nothing good about that. Shame just puts me in a place where nothing is good and there's no hope. You notice that in the gospel, not the gospel, book of Genesis, before the gospels, Adam and Eve felt ashamed. They hid because they felt shame. There was no redemption at that point. Christ hadn't died on the cross. And so, you know, we can look at it from a theological perspective. Why is it that they felt shame and not guilt? Um, so far, well, because Christ hadn't come yet and for our sins. But as soon as Christ comes, dies on the cross, and he says, hey, was this worth it or not? If I tell him, no, gosh, that wasn't worth it. My sins are much heavier than that. Then, yeah, I am going to turn away from that. I'm saying, no, I'm rejecting that. I'm going against the Holy Spirit here. I'm going against the love between the, the Son and the Father because we've got to remember right before his passion jesus said your will be done that was ultimate love ultimate surrender to god we had to do the same thing how do we do that though well you know one of the gospel readings that i find very true to form very compassionate um and was the character of christ is the gospel in luke if you look at luke chapter 5 we start with verse 8 well just a you know, back up on the story a little bit. So this is where St. Peter had been out. He'd been fishing and they'd been out all night and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus tells him, hey, you know what? Go ahead and throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And St. Peter says, hey, we've been out all night. What what more can I expect? You know, there, I know these waters well. I'm a fisherman. He's probably thinking, what do you know about all this? You're a carpenter. But there must have been something about Christ, something about the way he said this, something about his authority said, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. And all of a sudden what happened, there was this huge catch. Okay. What happened after that? The gospel goes on to say this in chapter five, verse eight of Luke, 
It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Go away from me, Lord, he said, for I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Well, okay. I think we find ourselves before the truth. I think this is where having that sense of guilt is good. Peter's, you know, St. Peter, or yeah, St. Peter had the guilt. Um, but he also kind of probably had a sense of shame because he's saying, go away from me, Lord. Isn't that kind of what we're feeling sometimes when we're not ready to forgive ourselves? I think sometimes it's easier to forgive other people um, because there's a power in that, if you will. There's also a sense of power in not forgiving people and saying, no, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold on to that. There is a sense of power because I'm holding on to something. There's a strength there, but it's not a positive strength. It's kind of the imagined power that there is in hell um, where there is a, a sense of I'm going to do things my way and you know, it doesn't matter what what anybody else says because my ways are wait. I may I'm even more right than God is what we're saying. Well, what does Jesus say to St. Peter after this, after he tells him to go away? We're gonna talk about that after the break. Because if anybody is out there feeling like they can't forgive themselves, we've got to understand what is Christ gonna say when we come before him? More after the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to Dr. Sandoval Show. Today we're talking about how do I forgive myself? It can be a challenging place to be. A lot of people feel a lot of burden, um, or I should say the burden of our sins. It's easy to feel that because that can happen as we're getting closer to God, as we're trying to make our life better. If we're in a position where, you know, gosh, we don't want to follow God and we kind of want to go our own way and do our own thing, then... There's probably not going to be much of a sense of guilt there. There's going to be more a sense of, uh, I'm just going to follow my own path. And it's not going to matter what the Lord tells me. Um, I'm not going to stop to think about, do I feel guilt or do I feel of shame? Um, because it's not going to it's not going to affect me. I'm just going to do whatever it is that I want to do. <laughs> this is my dog barking in the background. But the reality is, I need to ask myself at some point, do I want to get close to God? Do I want to be back in God's good graces? But do I know how to do that? Because at this point, it's not even about asking somebody else for forgiveness or about forgiving somebody else. This is all internal. And it can be challenging when it's internal because we walk our own path. The part of us that nobody else knows, there's a part of us that's just between us and God, and that's that relationship there. As we get closer to God, I think it's a lot easier to see the weight of our sins, the heaviness of our sins, the... Um, really the implications more than anything else, the implication that if I don't repent, I could end up in eternal punishment. But at the same time, seeing what we've done or, or what we, uh, you know, how we didn't do what was right can be a heavy burden because all of a sudden we, we can't imagine ourselves as children of God. Well, before the break, we were talking about the gospel where Jesus instructed Peter to go ahead and catch the fish. And Peter had been out all night and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, go ahead and do that. Throw the nuts on the other side of the boat. Jesus, I mean, or St. Peter was probably a little bit skeptical, but trusting. He threw the nuts over, had a huge catch, and recognized at that point the authority of Christ, the power of Christ, and said to him, get away from me, Lord. Depart from me, because I'm a simple man. He recognized his own sinfulness. 
Notice that he's asking Jesus to go away. The difference is he didn't go away from Jesus. He's, he's asking Jesus to go away from him. He's saying to depart. But what does Jesus tell him? This is key. You know, if we're ever in doubt where we feel like God's not going to accept us, God doesn't love me or is not going to love me because of what I did. Well, one thing to consider is God knows exactly what we did. God already knows what, what we've done. There's no secrets before the eyes of God. And God also knows our hearts. At that point, Jesus knew what St. Peter's sins were. They weren't surprised to him. When, when St. Peter said that, Jesus was probably like, yeah, I know. You know, I know you're a simple man. But what does he tell him at that point? Does he tell him, no, I need you to get away from me, or you don't deserve to be loved, or gosh, you're right, I, it was a mistake. But the fish back, I don't even, you don't deserve them. No, he doesn't say that. At this point, this is what's crucial, I think, and this is what's key when it comes to forgiving ourselves. One is that God already forgave me. I don't have the authority to not forgive myself. If I take on that authority, that's where I decide that I'm my own God. I know better than God. And the only place for anybody who thinks that they are their own God or better than God is not going to be heaven, that's for sure, because there's a lack of humility. It's that sense of pride that I can't let go of this. I can't accept that God knows better than me. But Jesus tells him this. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men, or you will be catchers of men. Or there's different translations of the Bible where it says you'll be fishing for people or fishing for men. Or Remember, he just had that big catch, but he had that big catch at the instructions of Christ. Well, what is happening here? What's happening is that if we get to that point where we feel like, I don't know that I can forgive myself, I think I need to be away from God, really, more than anything else, or I'm carrying this burden, I can't let it go. I think we need to ask ourselves, what is Jesus going to tell us? And I think Jesus is going to tell us a little bit about, get over yourself. He's going to say, it's not about you. The first thing he's going to say is, don't be afraid. I think there is a fear that we will be delivered, or that other people will know that we're not perfect, or that our um, sins will be made public. You know, a lot of people are afraid of the last judgment, afraid of being judged by Christ, because um, we know that in that time, we're going to be able to see all of our sins and everybody else's sins and what we've done. Well, different theologians will say different things. Some people will say, no matter what, you're going to see everybody's sins and your own sins. Some people say, your sins will actually be, if you've overcome them, if you come to Christ, if you're in heaven, they will actually be more like jewels because people will be able to see what you overcame. People will be able to see how you got closer to God and you accepted God's mercy. And that will actually turn into more of a jewel. It will be more of a prize. Um, because remember, in heaven, God's mercy is what matters. Whoever accepts God's mercy more, whoever loves God more, that's who wins. You know, sometimes we see these, I remember these bumper stickers or, or license plate holders that used to say, whoever dies or most toys wins, or whoever dies with most money wins. Well, in heaven, it's whoever knew how to love God more and get over themselves, that's who wins. Whoever accepted God's mercy more, that's who wins. And Christ tells us that his mercy is more abundant wherever there is great sin. In fact, he says that the sinner, the greater the sinner, the more that they deserve his mercy, because that's what he came for. That was the whole purpose of him dying on the cross. Well, what does Jesus tell St. Peter? It's the same thing he's going to tell us when we're feeling overly burdened. First thing is, do not be afraid. But then he gives him a mission. And the mission is not coming from St. Peter himself. It's coming from Christ. 
that's the key a lot of times to our sense of do we forgive ourselves or not? Do I let go of this burden? Well, technically, it's no longer my burden to carry because Christ is telling tells me that I'm forgiven. Christ says, don't be afraid. And he says, come follow me. He's saying, I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to give you are we ready to live our lives for Christ and abandonment of Christ? How does that look? Well, for this young lady, as we were talking and she was having a tough time making a decision for her life, she was really stagnant more than anything else. Couldn't decide on a convent, couldn't decide on a relationship, couldn't decide on all these different things. She, uh, you know, had a, a challenging part in her life where if she couldn't decide any of these things, what was she going to do? And I said, well, one of the problems was you're kind of trying to decide for yourself. So why don't you decide to let God, let go and let God, as we say. What does that look like? I said, well, you got to take a chance. One, you want to listen to God. What's Jesus telling you? Not just what are we telling ourselves, but what is Jesus really telling me at this point? It's hard to do because as human beings, we're always saying, is there a good book for me to read? Can I go to a self-help section? What can I read? so that I can improve myself. And one of the challenges, you know, if, if that were, if it were as easy as that, then you go to any bookstore or you go to any uh, library and there's a huge self-help section. And there's a lot of books on never be anxious again, or never feel depressed again, or, you know, the perfect diet or the perfect conversation, you know, this is how you're going to perfect yourself. I have all the answers in this book simple steps to this seven things you need to know about yourself. Three ideas. There's always all these books that are going to, try to tell you that you on your own can improve yourself and you need nothing outside of yourself to do that. Well, that's not the reality. The reality is that we don't live that way. I didn't make my own life. And the truth is God is the one who set a book for me. God is the one who set a mission for me. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Well, if God's the one who's in charge of my life, the first thing I would say is start with the first commandment again. Let's get back to that first commandment. How can I love God more than anything else? I think I need to wake up and say, gosh, maybe I don't feel good. Acknowledge that. Realize that I'm having a hard time forgiving myself. But maybe when we wake up in the mornings, our first prayer should be, God, I love you. Or God, I want to love you more. Please help me love you more. Give me the grace to love you more. Because I don't even know how to love you right now. And I need to get over myself. I need to stop worrying about myself, my self-pity, loathing. I need to start to love you more because you've already forgiven me. And maybe in the eyes of the world, I'm not perfect. And maybe if somebody else finds out that I'm not perfect, they might not like me, but I know that you do. And I know you're never going to stop loving me. I know that you have a mission for me in this life. And I want to follow that. And I'm going to humble myself. To the point where I say, you know what? Today I live for God. I'm going to do what I need to do, but I'm going to allow God to lead my life. In fact, I'm going to look for signs that God is leading my life. And I'm not talking about superstition either. We don't want to start saying, well, I'm going to go read my horoscope because that's where God's giving me a message, or I don't know exactly what God wants from me. So I'm going to go talk to a psychic and see, you know, have them talk. That's no good because that's not coming from God. God speaks to us individually from the heart. We don't want to start going down the path where we want divination or we want to know answers so well that we don't let God work in our lives. At that point, we're again going against the first commandment because now we're trying to take control of it. You know, that's one of the questions that came up, and she said, well, how do I find out God's uh, God's will for me? And so you got to pray. If we love God, well, I know nothing else other than I love God. I want to be with God. So I'm going to start with God. Best way to start with God is go where God is. 
sit in front of a tabernacle. Let God know exactly. You know, God, you know, I've got a confession, but I still carry this burden. I don't know what you want in my life. Please guide me. Please let me know what I need to do. Even if it seems hard, even if it doesn't make sense. But if I know that I'm following your path, I guarantee you, if you get to that point where you say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to follow your path, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you will find happiness. You will find joy. You will find that everybody else has sinned too. You will find that we all fall short and you're a good company. The difference is, has everybody accepted God or not? It's a challenging place to be. It's not easy to forgive ourselves because it means that I need to focus outside of myself, that I need to let go, and I need to trust God wholly. Why do we hold on to that? Because as human beings, we love to hold on to things. We love to say, no, I, I can't uh, I can't let go of that because it's uncomfortable, because it's unknown, because I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be very, very challenging if I don't say, you know what, God, I accept you, I accept your mercy, and now I understand the crucifix. I understand what it is that you did for me. I understand that you shed your blood for me, and I ask you to pour that blood out over me at this time because I kind of feel lost. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to go sit in front of the tabernacle and I'm going to truly ask you to give me the faith. I'm going to pray for faith. And I'm going to pray for understanding of how much you love me and how much you want me to love you. And now I'm going to start living just for you. I'm going to, in fact, I'm just going to look for a path in my life. I'm going to take a risk and say, for this lady was, she decided I'm going to pick a comment. I'm going to pick a comment and I'm going to see how it goes. It's okay if we have to change the path, but I'm going to start taking that first step because you told me not to be afraid. That means I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk on you because I think you're going to take a risk on me. Well, does a shepherd break a lamb's feet? Or when we come back from the break? All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. How do we forgive ourselves? Is that possible? Is it possible to have sinned so badly that even God doesn't love us? That would be possible. That would go against God's own nature. But how do we justify? How do we say, gosh, you know, I want to love myself. I want to love myself as much as Christ does. Um, I want to see myself the way God sees me. It's not always possible to do that. It's not always um, feasible to do that because we find ourselves really with a sense of, there's a sense of remorse, but there's a sense of hopelessness, really, when we can't forgive ourselves, a sense that nothing we do is ever going to be good enough because our sins are so great. The reality is then we're losing sight of the infinite mercy God has that is so much greater than any sin could ever overshadow. It's impossible, really, more than anything else. Well, there's a story about that I heard one time about how shepherds sometimes will keep their sheep close to them, especially the ones who tend to stray from the flock. You know, as we try to get closer to God, sometimes it doesn't feel good. You know, we look at, um, why are things not going well in my life now? Um, you know, I didn't get the promotion I was hoping for, or gosh, I, I went to apologize to that friend because I had hurt them a while ago and now they don't even want to talk to me. Um, that can be a bit of a challenge. And it's like, this is supposed to be getting better, but Things aren't, aren't very good, or, you know, I'm feeling kind of alone at work now. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, God finds ways to prune us, as we say, as we're trying to get closer to him. Sometimes that's the time God says, hey, 
you need to decrease so that I can increase in your life. And it might not feel good. And it's really more than anything else, a test of humility. Usually what it means is God's preparing us for something greater. God wants us to be closer to him, but we're not going to be ready to do that. We're not going to be ready to follow him or see the mission he has for us if we are continuing to only look interiorly. If we only look at ourselves, we're not going to realize that, gosh, there is something outside of me. And that's why I need to let go more than anything else. Well, there was a story of a shepherd who had a, a sheep who continually left. Uh, and continually went away from the flock. And so what do shepherds do as the story goes? He actually breaks the leg of the sheep. Why? So that he can stay close to him as he's healing. And he helps him heal, but he stays close to the shepherd. It gives that sheep a sense, a habit of being close to the shepherd, of being near the shepherd, of needing the shepherd, even though it's painful. His leg will eventually heal. But as that healing process took place, he came to depend 100% on the shepherd. He was never going to be here again. He wasn't going to go anywhere else. He wasn't going to, um, he was going to realize that all his healing, even though it was painful, all his healing came from the shepherd and he needed to be close to the shepherd. And there was no reason for him to leave the flock. He got to know the shepherd so well. Uh, he got to know the wounded shepherd, if you will, in that way. Christ himself suffered for us. He's, we can't say that Christ didn't know suffering. We can't say he didn't know physical suffering. We can't say he didn't know emotional suffering. We see it in the gospels all the time. The question is, are we willing to suffer with Christ? All the suffering Christ endured was for us. He was willing to suffer for us. Are we willing to suffer for Christ? Are we willing to say, you know what? I got to get over myself. My sins are not um, the end all to be all. My sins are really not that important in God's eyes. God really wants more than anything else for me to be reconciled with him. That's what really matters to him. That's what's important. And I got to ask myself, do I recognize that? Can I see things through the lens of God's eyes? It's impossible to do sometimes because in our humanity, we can easily feel overwhelmed. We can easily feel the burden of our imperfections. And we can feel like, you know, we're just not good enough. We're not going to be good enough. But the truth is, Jesus made it good enough. Jesus made it good enough in his crucifixion, in his shedding of the blood. Are there miracles that can happen? Yeah, the miracles that really happen more than anything else are the change of our heart. Well, what happened to this uh, person I was counseling? What happened to her story? Before the break, I was saying she was going to choose a convent. And she said, I'm going to take a risk. And so she actually chose to enter one of the convents. I don't want to say which convent it was, just in case anybody knows some of the nuns out there and might think, oh, I know this person. But she said that it was difficult at first. She wasn't sure what, she didn't know what she was doing. You know, she didn't get the full habit at first because she needed to, it was a postulate. Uh, so they gave him a much more simple uh, outfit to wear. It wasn't the full habit, um, but she said it felt weird. It felt weird at first because she had, uh, it was like being a different person. And I told her that's exactly kind of what happens to us. That's what Jesus wants for us. In fact, if we look at that gospel, Christ is telling St. Peter, hey, don't be afraid. You're going to be a different person now. You're not going to be catching fish anymore. You're going to be catching men. I need you to do things in a different way. And so what we talked about was, you know, when we start to choose God, God isn't going to put us on a mission for our own selfish needs. God's not going to say, hey, I need you to put you on a mission so that you can become a millionaire. 
I need you to put you on a mission so that you can have uh, the most expensive cars out there or the most expensive house out there. That's not the way God's going to work in our lives. That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, hey, now that you understand who you are and that you belong to me and that you are forgiven and that you're a beautiful person and that what you did is not who you are, we need to separate that. That's the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt tells me that I did something that needs to be repaired. Shame, notice shame is inward. I'm ashamed of myself. And that's where shame is almost sinful or goes against the first commandment because God's not ashamed of us. Therefore, we don't have the right to be ashamed of ourselves. It's an interesting concept. Guilt, however, means there's something outside of myself that I need to fix because it is affecting me personally, but I need to fix it. I need to change it. I need to do penance for it. That's going to be the uh, the challenge here. So she puts on a new outfit. I thought it was very, very fitting, the story, that she said, I kind of feel weird because I feel like a different person. I'm in a different outfit. It's a whole different life. It's it's not what I'm used to. She said, but what I'm finding is I feel lighter. I'm finding more joy. Now, granted, she said, I don't know that this is the right convent for me, the right order for me. I'm going to find that out time. But the reality is the joy was coming from the fact that she said, I'm finding joy because I think I'm taking a step towards following God's will, even if it's not the right step, but I'm trusting that he's going to put me in the right direction. It's not all about me. Yes, I've sinned, but I want to make up for that. Yes, I've sinned, but there's still hope. Yes, I've sinned, but the sin is not who I am. It is not me. It is something I did, something that can be repaired, which means that it's something that can be forgiven. And it's something I need to take out of myself. I'm not going to carry that burden anymore. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to go fish for men. Now, St. Peter obviously became the first pope, one of the first priests, first bishops. And so it's very clear when we look at this, and that's why I thought this was an appropriate uh, um, story. When somebody goes into holy orders, somebody becomes a priest or a nun, it's very clear to see that, you know, them following this mission of, I'm going to make you fishers of men, because we think, well, that's what priests do. That's what nuns do. They, um, they're in their convents or they, they live a life where they do nothing other than follow God's will and teach about God, preach about God. If you're a priest, obviously you're going to be listening to confessions. You're going to uh, administer the sacraments. You're going to pray the mass. So they're all very, very direct things where we say, yes, of course, they're fishers of men. They're, they're fishing um, for men for God. Uh, the nuns and their prayer, perpetual adoration, whatever it is that the charism, you know, teaching, whatever charism, just them being out in their habits is a very big witness to Christ. And it brings a lot of people back to the faith. It makes people remember, you know, see a collar. There's nothing, there's nothing more, um, more of a reminder than when you're out in public and you see a priest walking around or a nun walking around in a habit. It speaks of heaven. It speaks of God. There's only one purpose for that collar. There's only one purpose for that habit. And that points us back to somebody gave up their life for God. I think in our everyday lives, though, we kind of feel like, well, I'm not a priest or I'm not a nun. I'm not that important. Or, you know, I'm not going to, I can't directly, you know, fish for people. Uh, what am I going to do? The reality is God's working through all of us. Maybe I'm not wearing a collar. Maybe I'm not wearing a habit. But once I decide to follow that path of God, once I decide I'm going to get over my, I'm going to forgive myself, not because I'm important, but because God thinks I'm important, not because I think I'm great, but because Jesus thinks I'm great, not because I'm going to set my own mission, but because Christ has a mission for me. You will be surprised all the different ways 
people every day will come and tell you, gosh, thank you so much. You know, earlier this today, you said something and it really struck a chord with me and it made me remember that I wanted to be closer to God or that I haven't been praying. You know, gosh, thank you so much because the other day when uh, when you came out of mass, you told me you'd gone to mass and you made, gosh, you just reminded me, I got to get to church again. I got to, I got to go to confession. Or when you said that you couldn't hang out because you had to get to confession on that Saturday afternoon, I thought, wow, that's, you made that a priority. I better make that a priority in my life too. It, we, we can never underestimate how God is going to use us in his plan, not because we're important, but be, because we've humbled ourselves to allow God to work in our lives. And Jesus is going to say, thank you for doing that, because that's how I reach out to other people. And in fact, some people might be turned off by priests and callers or nuns and habits because of many different reasons. They they might have had a bad experience going to school with the nuns. They might have had a history of abuse or something along those lines. Uh, they might know some priests who were not the most chaste uh, or things. You know, we never know what people's experience is. But sometimes if God uses us individually, we can reach out to those around us and we can touch hearts in ways that we didn't even know. We can touch hearts in ways that we couldn't even imagine because we're not doing it. I'm not even trying to do it. All I'm saying is I'm going to pray. I'm going to follow you, Christ. And I'm going to let you do everything else because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do anything else. I don't know how to follow you really um, without you teaching me. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to surrender myself to you completely. That's how I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to say, you know what? I don't even know about this burden. I'm just going to let it go. And I'm going to let you, if you tell me that what I need to do is just sit here for an hour, then I'm going to sit here for an hour. If I'm in a convent and my superior tells me that I need to go sweep the kitchen, but I really feel like I'm, you know, so much better than that. I, I can, I can contribute in so many different ways. But you tell me that I'm going to sweep the kitchen. I'm going to go out of obedience. And I'm going to sweep the kitchen because it's not about me. That's what you need me to do, Christ. I'm going to imagine that that's what you need me to do. And so I'm going to do it. I think ultimately the path to forgiveness, forgiving others, but more importantly, as we're talking about today, forgiving ourselves is, am I willing to come before Christ with that sense of, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful person. I recognize my sin, but at the same time realize that Christ is going to tell me, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to make you a fisher of men in your own life and whatever it is that you're doing. Every day you can sanctify yourself and say, okay, let's do that, Christ. I'm not going to live for me. I'm just going to follow your path. I'm going to stop worrying. I'm going to lose all this anxiety. I'm going to lose this burden that I have. And I'm going to say every movement that I do is going to be for you. My hands are for you. My feet are for you. My thoughts are for you. And guess what? Everything's going to fall into place. I'm not saying it's going to always feel good. I'm not saying it's not going to be sacrificed. But if Christ is leading the way, I just have to follow. Notice that Christ isn't saying lead. He's not saying, let's, let, I'll let you set up all the plans. He's saying, follow me. Follow me and I will just guide you. Let go of everything else. And until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.